Welcome to the Jew and Gentile Podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one, the only, Mr. Herzig. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you? You got your black shirt with FOI insignia on it, our logo right there. I'm repping the Friends you of Israel. You are looking good. The only you two, you got a vest on? I got, I got bupkis, but... but I got a mug on a mug. You do not have bupkis. You've got a mug on a mug. My favorite thing. There you go. My mug on a mug. You got your mug on a mug. We're going to talk about the mug on a mug. We got a great show lined up for you. But before we get there, here we go. Well, you know, Steve, I have just been overwhelmed with the kindness of our listeners. Um, I've been getting text messages of people who are getting our mugs. They are. Uh, give me an update. I really don't know that much. I, I you know, all, I don't know exact numbers yet, but I can tell you, people send in pictures. Did I show you the one, uh, the the set of pictures that I from just, our Alabama couple? We have a very kind couple in Alabama who bought a mug. Um, uh, we have our friend Patty Larson. Six. 16 mugs. She bought 16 of them. She bought 16 of them. Hi, Patty. We love Patty. Um, she's one of our very early listeners to the podcast and has believed in what you and I have been doing for a long time now. Ay, ay, ay. She's loved it. We are grateful for her. Uh, and then we have others who have been sending in pictures. I've been posting them online. One person bought their pastor a mug on a mug. Uh, which is just absolutely amazing. So, hey, look, just a fresh reminder, uh, you can go to uh, uh, gofoi.org forward slash mugs, mug, not mugs, mug, and there you can make a donation. That's what it is. That's it's what a it donation, is. and you'll get a uh, mug on a mug. It's a minimum donation of $10. But, boy, do I want to encourage you to consider giving more than $10 because the the donation does not go to to Steve and myself in no. the podcast. The no. podcast is, uh, it's bupkis compared to what God is doing through FOI Equip and raising up new workers to go out to bless the Jewish people, um, to share their faith with anybody, to be trained in how to minister to their Jewish friends, and it's all around the world. So when you invest uh, in a mug on a mug, you're investing in the lives of those who are getting engaged to serve Israel and the Jewish people. Yeah, and I joke a lot about the mug, and it's always been something I wanted since we started the podcast, but the reason is <laughs> it's not the $10. Uh, $10 doesn't even cover the shipping, Chris. Nope, it's bupkis. Uh, and so we had a donation. You're that giving covered, them a mug. That's what you're we're, doing. We're giving them a mug, but because we had a donation that covered the mugs to begin with, but uh, we would like people to get the word out and we believe if at work if you're drinking your coffee or matzo ball soup uh, uh, someone four, made some four, cake in it four, oh i didn't know that four, oh yeah 14 ounces uh and wherever you are with guests in your house whatever oh what is that and it's got our website on there uh it's got a quip our little mm -hmm. logo there and uh the jew and gentile.org there that's what we want. We want to promote what we're doing, and what we're doing here at the Jew and Gentile Podcast is promoting Equip. And and Chris, you got a couple. You are going to be our teacher for Equip uh, this month and next month. Why oh, don't you tell us? About I really that? hope that our listeners go to foiequip.org and sign up for my class on Thanksgiving from the Book of Leviticus. Back in Leviticus, I love Leviticus. In fact, uh, this is a little tease, but uh, I've decided that next year. Early next year, my goal is to start doing some FOI Equip lunchtime Bible studies. Hey, if you got a time for lunch, um, and what we're going to do is look a little bit more in-depth in the book of Leviticus. We're going to go through Matzo that. Matzo ball soup at lunch with a mug on a mug. With a mug on a mug. And so you can, with Leviticus. Uh, so again, um, you, I encourage you to sign up for our upcoming class on Thanksgiving from Leviticus. You know, uh, it didn't all start with the pilgrims. It didn't all start with the Puritans. It actually, that concept of Thanksgiving. The Jews invented Thanksgiving. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Listen, what are you going to do? We invent so many things. Uh, and one of the, the things I love the most is, I'll just leave this as a teaser for people, is that, you know, at the end of Thanksgiving, there's always leftover turkey. Well, at the end of giving thanks to God, there's always leftover lamb. But you got to come to the class and find out why the law says that's really important. So again, you got to come sign up, foiequip.org. Okay, so Steve, um, I've been on um, Twitter for quite some time, which is now X. 
It's hard for my mind to switch from Twitter to X. Um, but I've been scrolling through. I'm going to tell you, first, I'm going to say this. I was messaging one of our listeners and a, and a family member of yours, Johnny McCauley. And shout out to Johnny. Shout out to Johnny. And his wife, I believe, did a marathon. She does, She's done them in Germany. She's done them in New York. She's done them uh, other other places. I'm not sure all the marathons, but she's done multiple ones. So Millie does the New York marathon. And, um, and so I said, you know, Johnny and I are chatting back and forth about it. And then I'm scrolling through X and I see multiple people posting about the Hasidic Jewish community in New York city. It is hilarious. <laughs> trying to cross the street where all the runners are running and they get caught up in the, the, you know, there these moms trying to cross the street with their kids, you know, or Orthodox Jewish men trying to run across the street without getting hit, you know, by tell, the runners. Tell our listeners how they could, I don't know. I don't know how to, I'm not on X or tw Twitter. Tell them because you showed me the videos. Yeah, I'll and have to link it in the show notes. Hilarious. I'll link it in the show notes. But I texted the video. The one with the guy holding his baby. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, baby's heads are so he's holding the baby, making sure the head doesn't move all around, and he's dodging all these brothers. It's his, it was just they were, are, are flying in the air. It's it's a riot. They're just running as fast as they possibly can, not to get run over by runners. I mean, it was it was something else. But I texted the video to Johnny. I said, did your wife encounter this on the marathon? And she, he said, yes, she was cracking up as she was running through Brooklyn. Uh, and Comic relief <laughs> in the midst of exhaustion. A hundred percent. So anyway, uh, while I'm also scrolling through and seeing some of that comic relief, I'm also noticing, Steve, that with what's going on in Israel, uh, with Israel and Hamas, I'm noticing a lot of Christians are using this opportunity to tell other Christians, hey, you know, what you're seeing with Israel in the Middle East right now, ignore, that's not God's divine plan. Like, they're just a, a, a nothing nation like everybody else. So just, to, you know, stop giving it so much credence, uh, so much attention. And I've been surprised by this. It, I consider it anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. There's a it's kind of in the church. Even yesterday, I did a big radio interview for VCY Network, and uh, I was talking with the host off air, and he says, you know, Chris, whenever we take calls, there's always one Christian that calls in and says, Jews control the media, Jews control. And it's just like, hey, you know, what? It's, this is in the church. I want to read this and have a conversation with you really quick. We're going to call this segment the X Factor because oh, it's the X. X Factor. It's the X Factor because it's the former Twitter, now it's X but there was a um, a post that's posted by a guy that's got a, quite quite a bit of followers. Uh, he's got uh, thirty two thousand followers, so it's you know nothing. it's more than us. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. We've got se we've got seven. We he's got, got thirty two thousand. We got seven. And his name is Smashbot Ells, and he's a Christian. He's a Christian. Um, but Charlie Kirk, who maybe you've heard on the radio, um, he he he's very influential. He posted a picture of himself. Charlie Cook on, on X posted a picture of himself uh, at the uh, Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. And he wrote Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But then this Christian writes back and retweet uh, uh, comments on his post and says, this verse isn't talking about ethnic Jews being a blessing to the world. It's about one Jew, Jesus Christ. All of the earth was blessed through the Abrahamic line with the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And people have been responding, and some are saying, oh, buddy, you got to go back and get some good Bible teaching from your pastor. And others are agreeing with him, saying, you're right, we're giving too much, we're giving too much um, energy to Israel biblically. This is just a secular nation versus, you know, a, you know, a terrorist organization. Let's stop praying at the wall. Let's stop, you know, thinking— biblically about this situation. So Steve, I thought maybe you could speak into what this particular person responded to Genesis 12:3. Well, you know, you and I talked about this before we came on to do the podcast, and the first uh thought in my mind was, yes, if you want to rely strictly on Genesis 12, uh the Abrahamic covenant, there there's arguments that could be made if you just stop there and say, "Well, wait a minute, Abraham's been a blessing." 
to the nations. Uh, he had more than one son, regardless of how it happened. He had and had Ishmael and then Isaac, uh, and those would be his descendants. So if you just camped there, but the reason it's quoted is because this particular covenant given to Abraham, an unconditional covenant, when you read on through the book of Genesis, you come to chapter 17, where that specific covenant given is mentioned specifically for Isaac. Ishmael has a separate blessing, and now it goes to Isaac. And then it goes to Jacob. So the seed, Genesis chapter 3, before any Jewish people, the seed of the woman, we now know uh, Abraham is the one selected, man of faith, and he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the nation of Israel. Jacob's name is changed. And you brought up Numbers chapter 23. Why don't you, which is, so I'm, my argument would be, wait a minute, the, the, the promise goes specifically to the descendants of Abraham, one, Abraham, Isaac, and then one, Jacob. Uh, and that those promises are specifically given the prophets write about it, and it's a nation. It's a people. Mm. But you come to Numbers, and what do you tell us from Numbers? Yeah, well, Numbers, I think, is a narrative. Numbers 23 and 24 is the story of Balaam and Balak. Remember when Balaam's on the donkey and the donkey talks to him? That, that story, it's a narrative account, I think, of Genesis 12, uh, 1 through 3, that here here are the Israelites on the way to the promised land, um, and uh, which is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And Balak tells Balaam, hires him. You've got to curse these people. Call out to the gods and curse this nation Israel. Curse them. And there is Balaam going, I don't think this is a good idea, but he's kind of, you know, strong-armed into doing it, and he does it. And every time he opens his mouth, blessing comes out. So again, it's it's in the line of Abraham I agree with him there. This a line that that is connected uh, to the entire nation. Uh, that this promise, even in the Torah, you see it. Uh, you see it in the history of Israel. I mean, God over and over again says in Deuteronomy and Second Kings, "I'm not sending you or keeping you in the land. I'm not doing these things in the land for you because you're some righteous people, Israel. It's actually because of the promise that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob." that you benefit from my mercy and kindness and compassion and grace. You don't deserve that, but I'm pouring it out on you because of a unconditional covenant I made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that moves its way through the story of Scripture. And so I, I look at it like the Scriptures are showing us constantly through the stories and the accounts and the interactions that God has with Israel that that covenant is not just—it is ulti ultimately— finds its meaning in Jesus Christ, but I don't think it just means now it's done because Jesus Christ uh, uh, Chris, came and Chris, ascended. Let's take, let's take after Bible proof. I think the Bible should be the ultimate proof, but what the Bible specifically says, then you see if there's any evidence for what it says. What other nation do you know was scattered, where its people were scattered, where they went to the four corners of the earth and come back to the land, the specific land that had promises, and speak the same language when they left. It, there is no nation like that. What other nation without an army, navy, or air force uh, is reconstituted and is able to hold off its enemies? Uh, so if the argument is that Israel is just like any other nation, history says, forget for now, let's forget the Bible. History says there is no nation like Israel. Uh, none. Uh, they are they are unique in every way, which is what God says about them. In addition to the people who are disproportionately small, there's we haven't even reached. And I do say we. I'm Jewish, so we. Uh, that, that's about the only way I could be associated, because what I'm about to say involves brains and scholarship. <laughs> there is no other people so small. Uh, we haven't even gotten to our pre-Holocaust population yet. We're still a, about a couple million people short. And yet, excel to contribute blessing, mm -hmm. blessing 
to the world that could be traced directly to Genesis chapter 12. There used to be a, 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 a comic in Jerusalem Post, and it had a Shah or a, a big-wig Muslim guy out of Saudi Arabia or wherever, and he's, he's, he's in the hospital, and uh, he says, we're going to boycott all the Jews. I don't want anything Jewish around me. Well, sir, hand me your computer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw we, that. we cannot take your medication. You can't take your medication. What, what do you mean? He said, you, can't, you turn in your phone, turn in, all, turn in all these things. Why? Because all those things are Jewish. They came from the Jewish people. So if you're going to boycott this amazing people, then you you won't have any of the things yeah. that we contribute. I've seen that before, And too. again, that's that's not biblical evidence, but that's the Bible coming alive why we see it, because it's a ongoing blessing. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're blessed through Jesus. Yes, we're blessed through his word, all Jewish. But we're blessed every day by a people that were supposed to be wiped out, history demand. Just read uh, Esther. We celebrate Esther. You could read all kinds of the Holocaust. Hitler was stopped. All these things contribute to Genesis chapter twelve. Can I? Can I have one more thing too? Is that you know again? This person writing is assuming that at Jesus's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and then ultimately the birth of the church, there is no more need. You know this this whole concept of Israel's uniqueness disappears. Um, and uh, and has no place even even today. But the Apostle Paul, who is writing in Romans, um, after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and ascension, and the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. So we're in the church age when Paul is writing this. And he says this about the Jewish people, and I think about the nation of Israel. He says, as far as the gospel is concerned, they, Israel— are enemies for your sake. So we know who he's talking about. He's talking about the people around him that are his brothers and sisters, the uh, lawnsmen, as you would say. Blind. That are blind. And so we know who he's talking about. But then he says, but as for election is concerned. So that's talking right now in the church age. As far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. You can't undo them. You can't break them. You can't make them inactive. You can't just say, oh, but in Jesus, everything changed. No, 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 no. He's saying right here, the gospel is still the same. Yeah, they're the enemy right now for the gospel. They don't approach the uh, uh, accept the gospel. Yes, I understand all that, but that doesn't mean God's done with them. In fact, the reason why is because God's gifts and call are irrevocable. They can't be broken. So to me, Paul is speaking into this situation. That comes from Romans chapter 11, verses 28 and uh, 29. Paul is telling you, does it matter right now? A hundred percent it matters right now. You cannot ignore uh, the promise that God made to Abraham. And so anyway, that one always gets me as well, because it's speaking into our age. It's a church age right now. Well, Chris, if again, it depends on your eschatology, but as we read the text and believe it the way it's written, the Jewish people have to be here. They have to be here in order to accomplish the the plan that God has to restore what was broken back in the garden. And so we believe God's going to use the nation of Israel because of, uh, by the way, we're in the book of Daniel. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 6 today. But in chapter 9, we learn about the, 90, uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel in chapter 9 and verse 27. And there we're going to find that one of those weeks is yet to come, and that's conting- That's actually going to happen in uh, Revelation, which we did do, chapter 6 through 19. So those two are held together. There must be an Israel. God's, God, they're not just some bupkis people or bupkis st- uh, country. Uh, I could make the argument America is some bupkis country mm-hmm. because they're not even mentioned in the Bible. Israel is the focal point. Ezekiel says they're the center of the earth. Um, Zechariah says they're the apple of his eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are important things. That, that that doesn't mean we're better than anybody else. Not, it doesn't mean any of that. It simply means that God has chosen us. 
the Jewish people. And when I say us, I'm part of the Lonsman, but I'm much more strongly identified in the body of Christ. I'm a believer. Uh, and in fact, when Paul wrote in First uh, Corinthians, he says, give no offense to the Jews, to the Greeks, Gentiles, or to the church. Mm-hmm. In my in my estimation, there's only three kinds of people on the earth, Chris. Only three. You're either Jewish, you're either a Gentile, or you're a believer. Mm-hmm. And if you're a believer, you still could have ties to your countries, wherever you are. You like that food, you like that dress, you mm-hmm. like whatever. Uh, but you're, you're a Gentile, or you're Jewish. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. God chose one people— uh, he didn't choose anybody else. And that, through that one people, yes, his redemptive plan is Christ through his word. But it goes past that. And that's the big battle as Israel fights their battle. And by the way, we have special podcasts, Chris. Why don't you, after I'm done, tell them about that. We are offering uh, at no extra charge. Mm. <laughs> we don't charge anything anyway. <laughs> but we're giving more content uh, we just had a great interview with Ty Perry, mm-hmm. uh, and people could access that. But uh, God is going to use Israel for his future plan, and they're critical. They're important. Uh, yes, Jesus is important, but in order for Christ to finally come back as King of kings and Lord of lords, there has to be a Jewish nation, a land, physical, and there has to be a Jewish people for him to come back to, and he's going to rule in Jerusalem, he's not coming. He's not coming to New Jersey. Thank God, yeah. he's not coming to New <laughs> we Jersey. We could use his help. With he's taxes, going though. to Jerusalem, and that's important. You know, I, I there's the passage. I believe it's in First or Second Corinthians where it says that Jesus is the yes to all of the promises of God. I always think it's funny that Christians spin that as saying. Jesus is the yes to all the promises of God, so now we can end all those promises. But really, what it's saying is that in Jesus, all of the promises that God made to Israel, that's the thing, that God made to Israel, um, will that find their yes. They do find their yes, and they will find their yes. It's just always funny the to me. The story isn't ended it's yet. It's not done yet. It, I, if, if it ended, we wouldn't be here. He did. He died. He rose again. Bada-bing. No, there's time's gone on. Why is that? Because there's more to follow. I don't mean to be too uh, um, uh, controversial here, but I sometimes I think in Christianity we've made the cross the pinnacle of the mountain. You know, oh, we've reached the mountain, and the cross is the—it's it. Uh, and the cross is incredibly important. We need to remember what Jesus did on the cross. But that, to me, is the—it's the chemo. It's what provided the— it was what provided the forgiveness so that we could have a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The pinnacle of the mountain isn't just the fact that it isn't just the cross. It's his coming. That's that's where we should be looking because the cross is us looking back and saying, thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. Because now when we look forward to your coming, we know that we are accepted by you when the king comes to return. Sometimes I think in churches we get so wrapped up in just thinking, oh no, it's all done at the cross. It is all done at the cross, but it's not all done yet. It's still a lot to unfold. And that's why I always think the Apostle Paul, all the apostles were looking forward. They looked back to remember, but they looked forward to also say, in the Messiah, there is forgiveness, there is salvation. Well, what are you being saved from? From the wrath that's coming. There is still more to come. That's really important. So. You know, uh, I've been listening to Adrian Rogers, uh, I, I listen to dead people. He's yeah. a, he's alive. Adrian is he alive listen, in heaven. But, Steve doesn't listen to me at all. Yeah, yeah, I, I, have to so die I first. listen to dead people. And uh, <laughs> one of the lines that I really have cherished that I heard from him in one of his messages as he's communicating to his congregation, uh, even back in his day, he he went to be with the Lord in 2005. So this one message I heard, must it must be at least 35 or 40 years old. And he's saying, you know, things aren't the way they should be. Uh, they're not the way they, and he said, have you ever felt that way? He said, you should not be surprised. Jesus is not on the throne. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, he's on the throne in heaven, but he's not on the throne of David yet. Uh, Satan isn't in prison or thrown into the lake of fire, and the church is not with its groom. What do you expect? Mm-hmm. And those, Cyrus. Cyrus. those three elements, 
once those three elements are fulfilled, once he's on the throne in Jerusalem, on the throne of David, once the church is with its groom, and once Satan is dealt with, baby, it's going to be great. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be great. And what what is contingent for those things to happen? In order for Christ to come on the throne, the David's throne, there has to be Jewish people, and they have to be saved. He saves them and fulfills the promise. The church is not with its groom. We're, the, the body of Christ, those who are deceased, certainly are with Christ, absent from the body, present with the Lord, but the resurrection hasn't happened yet. The church isn't Revelation 19 coming back with him physically and bodily. And and Satan, <laughs> Satan is the one who's messing with Israel so much because God loves Israel so much. So once Satan's dealt with, uh, and those other two elements are met, which is exactly what you're talking about, that takes place at the second coming. Mm-hmm. That's not quite the end of the story. We know that from Revelation uh, 21 and 22. Uh, but it's... It's important, and Jewish people are important, and they're not just some bupkis country. No, that's the uh, that's the whole point. Hey, listen, uh, be sure to get Boy, a hold of us. We haven't even started uh, the study. No, we're, we're already we're halfway through. Too late. Uh, well, be sure to text us four two four 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 nineteen forty eight. Again, that's four two four 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 nineteen forty eight. Let us know what you think about Israel and the Jewish people, and um, be sure to text us. Also, we've been doing some shorts. Uh, Steve, I'm going to say it because I don't know if you remember what you called it or not, um, but they're called Behind the Headlines. We've already done an interview with Ty Perry, who talks about his ministry on college campuses as he's trying to support Israel and the Jewish people in, uh, on college campuses. Very difficult right now, very difficult with anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism. And then also we had Yael Kalisher on um, talking about, uh, as an Israeli believer, what we should be thinking about what's going on in Israel. So and how do they access that? It's all in the same spot. It's all pop. If you subscribe to our podcast, uh, if you subscribe to our YouTube page, all of them have just been popping up. But be sure to check them out. Um, uh, uh, we really think there'll be encouragement to you. Behind the headlines, Steve. Behind the headlines. But- uh, as you know, one of our uh, other things we do here on the podcast, we took from Emily Stone, Did You Know?, well, now we've gone to the book, The Little Encyclopedia of Jewish Culture. And Chris, this morning, uh, as we are doing this on Wednesday morning, uh, we have chapel service at Friends of Israel, and you gave us some startling statistics. I'm going to read this and then ask you to kind of summarize what you went over this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in this little encyclopedia of Jewish culture, the title is Making Sure to Remember. Oh, Chris, remembering is so important in the Bible. And thus, it's a part of Jewish, it's the Jewish fabric. Everything we do uh, in Judaism, whether you're super religious or not, involves remembering. And, And the first paragraph reads, though it can feel impossible, reckoning with the facts of the Holocaust uh, is a fundamental consideration of today's Jewish identity. Many notable literary and cinematic works remind us to never forget. Chris, you were uh, telling us at chapel uh, about how people are forgetting about the Holocaust. Some don't even know about it, and one of the ways Friends of Israel is going to try to help people learn about it. You know, um, the statistic from 2020 said that something like 23% of 18 to 29-year-olds, somewhere in that bracket, believe that the Holocaust was a myth. A myth! Um, And so... We really, at Friends of Israel, we've, we we really want to be doing something to help combat the rise of Holocaust denial, Holocaust misinformation. And so we're building a trip called Encounter Poland, where we're going to be partnering with our Polish team, our Friends of Israel Polish team. Um, Timothy Rabinik has uh, been our, our, um, our connection point there, um, our liaison in, in Poland. He does an amazing ministry with his team there in Poland. And we're going to be taking a group of young Christians over, a delegation of 16 of them, and they're going to stand with his, with the Jewish people. Um, they're going to show support march to them. March with the living. They're going to do March Fourth of the Living. Of the living. Uh, that's that's just the, one of the only evangelical groups that will be there that day. Yeah, there'll be, I hear thousands of Jewish people, and what you do on March of the Living is you march between Auschwitz and Birkenau. 
And so you're walking between these two extermination camps. It's about a two-mile walk, by the way. That's I've done it. You've done it before. I have. And not, I, not not with March for the Living, just Alice and I did it. Did we, it on your own. When we were there. Yeah. It's, it's the walk that they had to do every single day to do work for the Nazis. Mm. That's what's so amazing about it. Every day they had to do that. Every day they lined up. They even made the... Uh, uh, the 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 people who were in the camp who were musicians play uh beautiful music they were some of the finest um musicians and they had a lineup in the cold the musicians are playing classical music and they march off to work it's it's a sick kind of uh hold that the nazis put upon its prisoners it's just horrible but now there, it's the March of the Living. That's right. Thousands of Jewish people from all around the world uh, gather, and they do that march. And we will be one of the only evangelical Christian groups standing with them. So um, we're, we're, we're gathering a, a delegation right now. And while they're there doing the March of the Living, they're also going to be touring Poland and getting a Holocaust education, doing volunteer work in the Jewish community, and helping with the with the gospel ministry of our Polish team with our holidays in the Bibles that we have two camps, um, two farms, farms or camps um, where people come to get amazing Bible teaching um, from Ukraine, from Poland. Um, and so there's a camp that we have in in Warsaw and there's one down in Wisla. And so we'll be at both of those camps helping our team over there as well. So, you know, one of the things that they do, Chris, is when they bring, when they have these holidays in the Bible, some of the people who come, don't have Bibles. That's right. And so one of the things they do is hand out Bibles, Old and New Testament, with a giant star of David right on the cover. That's I've awesome. seen those yeah, Bibles. because they're Jewish people that are coming. They're Jewish people coming. And by the way, these Jewish people want these Bibles. They are thankful for them, and they associate, wait a minute, I had teaching here and my holiday in the Bible, and now I can read for myself when I go back. It's an amazing ministry, and uh, we're going to send young people to to participate. They're going to work at that farm. They're going to march with the living. They're going to tour. Uh, they're going to go to Krakow. Krakow was the capital of the Nazis in Poland, and so they bombed Warsaw till there was nothing left. But Krakow was Jewless under the Nazis, but every part of their culture is there. Still there. Alice and I were there. I saw the synagogue, the cemetery, the rich Jewish culture has been preserved. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's it's a place that Jewish people have gone to uh, to see and to experience. Uh, it's, 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 it counters the problem stated here. And by the way, in this particular book, it mentions a number of different resources, movies, books, Schindler's List, very popular. Which they're going to, they're planning on going to Schindler's factory while they're over there in Krakow that, as well. And that's really amazing. Also, the the work Night, uh, which was done by Ellie Wiesel. Uh, so the, the author here on the encyclopedia is saying what, predicting what exactly happens when you say 23%. percent mm -hmm. uh, the statistic I read was 25% of Americans don't believe that the Holocaust yeah. took place. Yeah. 25%. And I remember first teaching uh, a course on the Holocaust at a Bible college in 1984. I did it for 25 years. But in 1984, I remember saying to the class, you know about the Holocaust, right? This is 1984. Every hand went up. By the time I stopped back uh, 2000, whatever it was, there were some people who said, no, I, I we never covered it in school. I don't I don't I know the term, but I don't know what it means. Yeah, and you know, I have a friend that was uh, from Switzerland that immigrated to Israel and uh, he wrote a book about this. He says, "You know, Chris, a lot of people think Holocaust deniers are the problem. The people who just go, "Nope, this isn't uh, real at all." But he said the real problem aren't the deniers. The real problem are the people who misconstrue information. And they try to tell you, ah, maybe it was more like 2.3 million Jewish people, not 6 million. You know, they exaggerate. Those Jewish people exaggerate this. And they and he wrote a whole book about the fact that we invest so much time in those deniers, those people who say never happened when really we should be investing in making sure that the truth, the facts that we have about the Holocaust are being are being taught 
all the time. And so that's why we're doing this trip because, you know, Steve, we really do believe, number one, that if you go to the Holy Land, if you go to Israel, then you're going to become uh, a Zionist. You're going to love Israel and the Jewish people. Once you step foot in the land, you're going to go, oh, this makes sense. The Bible makes sense. God's promise to Israel makes sense. And we believe the same thing is true about stepping foot in Poland, that when you get to Poland and you get a proper Holocaust education, you're going to come back and become an advocate for the truth about anti-Semitism, that's the hatred of the Jewish people, the truth about anti-Zionism. These kind of things are very important. And the thing I love about this trip, Steve, is that, yes, it's dark. The history is dark, and it's depressing. But at the same time, we're partnering you with people who bring hope. And so the hope that they're partnering with, our team on the ground in Poland, are going to be showing them the love uh, 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 of of the Messiah, Jesus, which is hope, that there is hope going on in Poland right now. Amidst all the darkness in the history there, there is hope that's being, uh, uh, the light of Christ is being shined as a beacon to people all, that they minister to all over Poland, uh, especially the, the Jewish community as well. Think about it, Chris. There were three and a half million Jewish people before World War II in Poland. Uh, my grandmother's, my father's side, his mother's relatives were all there. By the time the war ended, there were a few thousand, a couple of thousand. Mm-hmm. And today, today in Poland, you have lovers of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. You have uh, uh, ministries that are going on. And the Polish staff we have, quite frankly, there isn't one Jewish believer on our staff. They're all Gentiles. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. In fact, if anything, here are Gentiles who love the Jewish people and are serving uh, in order to promote Israel and the Jewish people. It's, it's, it's amazing. A, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing, which, by the way, I'm not going to give it away. That word amazing is going to come up again. It's going to come up again. But first, text us 424 444 1948. Hey, Steve, you know, we've got a little bit of time left. <laughs> <laughs> now we're supposed to do a study, right? That's right. We're, we're in the book of Daniel. We're, we're uh, over, we're, we're actually, this will take us over the hump because we're in Daniel six. There's 12 chapters in Daniel. Um, and the theme over and over again is not just prophecy about what's going to take place in the future. Right now, I really think that uh, the, there is that component of the, what God's going to do in the future in Daniel. But there's also been that component of how do we live in a world um, that is different than what uh, our, 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 our feelings are toward what the Scriptures teach, uh, toward our, the truth of the Scriptures? How do we wrestle with Babylon surrounding us and we want to maintain our relationship with God as the world is constantly picking and pulling and demanding us to think differently and act differently Um, how do we live a life pleasing to God in that? Daniel's going to show us this once again. You know, Chris, as we've been going through Daniel, I can't tell you how often I've thought of him just in the events that have been happening uh, since October 7th. It's it's amazing to me how I think of Daniel. Daniel was a captive. He was captured. There There was a violence in his country. He was a captured person and brought back to Babylon. Uh, and it, as you just said, he is a person who is still trying to, as a young man, trying to live uh, a life pleasing to the Lord in the midst of, uh, of a majority of people who don't believe in his Lord at all. And we see the victories that have been won. Daniel's, he's, we, we don't, he doesn't have the power of Samson. He has the power of faith mm-hmm. and worship and kind of maneuvering. He's got maneuverability in this country. He's relying on the Lord and his wits. Both are working simultaneously. And now we're coming to chapter six. And we're using, I'm using, uh, Rennie Shower's book, uh, The Most High God, which is what God is referred to in the book of Daniel. And we have that book linked in the show notes. And Steve, can I say this too, is that Daniel is just a perfect picture, I think, of how God wants us to live in the world that's surrounding us. You know, here's a guy, he stood up for his convictions. Absolutely. Never denied his, he was a man of integrity to God, uh, integrity to God's law, integrity to God's word. And yet at the same time, he was respected in the world that he lived in. There There is somewhat of a balance that you can have. Um, I'm not saying every, uh, clearly, as we go through the text, not everybody liked Daniel. You know, they didn't like his ways of doing things. 
But ultimately, in the end, he earned respect with the people surrounding him, and he was also able to maintain his integrity to God, which means he was wise as as a serpent, but gentle as a dove in some of these things. So wisdom, that's really what it comes down to. 100%. And before we start, you're going to read the beginning of chapter 6. I want to go over uh, Darius the Mede, because Darius the Mede is a poses a problem. They can't find a Darius the Mede in history. So let's go to an historian, and that's exactly what Rennie Showers was trained in. Uh, I, I'm not sure if his doctorate was in history, but I know that his master's degree was in history. And here's what he writes uh, in uh, the Most High Commentary. He says, Daniel indicated that Darius the Mede ruled the kingdom of Babylon after it fell to Medo-Persia. The statement, that statement posed a problem. Who is Darius the Mede? Well, Darius is not a person, but a title. Uh, It's a title of honor rather than a personal name. And Josephus, the historian, Hebrew historian, claimed Darius had another name, and that other name was Gubaru, G-U-B-A-R-U. Uh, Uncle, Uncle Gubaru? Uh, Uncle Gubaru. Oh, crazy Uncle Gubaru. <laughs> the, the man whom King Cyrus appointed as governor of Babylon. Isn't it interesting? Babylon was a kingdom, and now it's ruled by a governor. Yep. It just shows you what can happen in history. Oh, yeah, Cyrus is he's king over a far bigger empire than Babylon. Uh and so as you go down the uh, the dream that he had, gold, and now we're in silver, and you, it, it's, you he's see a that, governor. The, yep, that's it. That's all you become. But it is fair, he says, in light of this, he says at the end, uh, Daniel was not stretching the truth when he referred to Darius as king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, since Darius had been appointed by the head king Cyrus. Daniel was accurate when he wrote that Darius received the kingdom and was made king. The The title he would have had was governor, but he was the king of Babylon. Babylon, yeah. Be, be, Cyrus had bigger fish to fry. So he's had Darius, uh, you're honorable, you're, um, you know, you're the big macher for Babylon. And so now we come to chapter six because Darius the Mede, we find out he kind of liked Daniel. Yeah, uh, so the plot line moves us away from the Babylonian Empire. Now we're in the Persian Empire. Daniel was probably around 80, 85 years old at the time. exactly. So it pleased Darius, it says in verse 1 of chapter 6, to appoint 120 satraps. Now we know that satraps were basically like uh, governors as well. They ruled over areas. That was a very Persian title there, satraps, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this time, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Isn't this interesting? Steve, I mean, you want to talk about political anti-Semitism. Here it is. You know, this reminds me of the uh, of the Dreyfus affair in France, when uh, which gave way to my my spirit animal behind me, Theodore Herzl. You know, here is a guy that is he had more hair than you do up top. Yep. Oh, Oh, hundred percent. Yep. You know, my hair here, my you're you're doing good with the beard, but boy, he he had it. No, he had a great head of hair. He did. He's my spirit animal. There you go. And so, uh, but it's interesting because Dreyfus was a Jewish guy. And uh, again, the theme of that time period, uh, this is in the in One the of the late... few captains in the French army, I might add. That's right. And this is in the, in the late 1800s. Um, and what happens, uh, the Jewish people are saying, oh, if you just want to be accepted by everybody, then just be like the rest of your country. Stop being so Jewish and be like, if you're French, be French. And here's a Jewish, or a, a Jewish uh, Dreyfus, Captain Dreyfus of the French army. And what happens? He's targeted for being Jewish, even though he has assimilated so much into the army that he's a captain in the army. And yet there, once again, you see assimilation. Nope, you're Jewish. We're going to target you. And they targeted him. That's what changed Theodore Herzl's mind. But here again is Daniel doing what he's supposed to be doing with exception. He's got uh, he's got um, uh, credentials. 
The king likes him. Darius likes him. And what happens? Oh, let's target that guy. Let's try to find some dirt on him. Why? Because he's Jewish. And at this, the administrators and satraps try to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could not, they could find no corruption in him, but he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor uh, uh, negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Oh, man, Steve, this is, you could apply this to today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's good, as you tell the story, to go back to chapter one. And, look, and, then, I'll, and then I'll frame it because it's a good reminder. Remember, we talked about it's been a long time since we've been in chapter one, mm -hmm. but listen what it says at the end, verse 17 of chapter one. It says, and for those four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in to the uh, chief of the eunuchs, brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, then the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. That hasn't left them nope. at all. Yep. So Daniel, I, we don't know where his three friends are, but we know where Daniel is. And none of these blessings, none of these abilities, none of these gifts that were uniquely given to Daniel have gone away, and they play into now an 80-some-year-old person who has been faithful to God, but also a faithful worker in the civil government of Babylon, and, and now it's still in Babylon, but it's now under uh, Cyrus. That's right. The Assyrians. And what are they trying to do? Well, first, uh, let's go into his records. Let's dig up his tax returns. Let's go look into these things and see if we can find something against him. Bupkis. Nothing. He's 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 uh, in, a man of integrity. But then look what happens. There's this moment where they go, I know where we'll get him. We'll get him on his in his Jewishness. Uh, we'll get him in his in his approach to God through his the law of his God. That's that's our ticket because there's going to be some. There's going to be a contradiction between what Daniel believes um, and what uh, is demanded of him as an official in, in the government here. So they're going to utilize his faith in God as a way to get him. And so that's kind of the angle they're taking and here. And they know he's going to be faithful. They know it. That's, that's the whole—they know this guy is committed to his God. We know it, and we're going to use— his integrity, his faith with his God against him in order to get rid of him. And what's interesting is it turns out, as Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for bad and God used it for good. So they said, we're going to get him on his faithfulness. Look, Chris and I, Chris, you and I are reading about this now. The church reads about it. Jewish people read about it. Uh, and, and what happens? We're saying Daniel is amazing. These guys were nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and they're their history, and we repeat the story over and over. The joke is on them. 100%. And the story, the themes never seem to change, which is interesting. You know, Daniel's life was on the line in Daniel 1 and Daniel 2. Daniel's life was on the line again. Um, uh, or, or, or his, friends. his friends' life were on the line, um, and then now, again, his life is on the line. There's always this moment where it's like his life is going to be on the line here, but he he doesn't uh, he doesn't allow it to shake him. He doesn't yeah. blink. He doesn't, you know, we're going to see here in a moment that he appeals to God, which is, a, you can tell, okay, God, what's going on here? But, you know, when you compare it, you know, think about the uh, in Daniel 5 when, when um when uh, Nabion or who was it? Not Nab Nabionitis. Who was Daniel five? Uh, the king. Oh, Belshazzar. When Belshazzar sees the handwriting, it says his he turns pale and his, his knees hips go out of his, joint. Yeah, his knees are knocking. He's scared to death. Daniel, you could Daniel doesn't change his demeanor. He he approaches God in it, but he isn't overwhelmed by in fact he says you know you could keep your riches you're not going to be here that long <laughs> keep your riches but i'll still tell you for, for it's a freebie it's a freebie it's like what we're doing with the mug <laughs>
you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'll read this one last section, Steve. Then I think we should uh, get to the news. But it says, so the, these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and endorse the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So Darius put the decree in writing. So what does this do? Well, now, again, they they, they leveraged uh, um, Daniel's uh, 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 love for God and abhorrence of idolatry, which is baked into the law of God. They leverage that in order to say, hey, king, you should do this one thing, and bada-bing, bada-boom. But once he signs it, he can't change it. That's the right. The law of the Medes and the Persians. Which will play out later on in the book of Esther as well. It will. And so I think we should stop here, Steve. But again, a great picture of Daniel in the, the story is setting up for his failure. Um, and the fact that the, that his own colleagues were working against him because of who he was. I don't know what it Were they jealous of him? What was it in them that made them want to turn on Dan, this old, this older guy, 80 years old? What, 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 why, you know, um, well, we're going to see what God's going to do through all of well, this. Well, you know, some people say, some scholars say that the re- they try to explain anti-Semitism, and that's a whole different subject. But a lot of them simply say people are anti-Semitic because of the success that Jewish people have had mm. as a people. Uh, and that's an interesting argument. Uh, you have to, I think, compare other minority groups and how they do in their success and see if they're persecuted and that's a whole separate thing. But uh, it's interesting to go through the book of Daniel, and that's exactly what we're doing. But we have some—I think these are news items that are fun. Oh, Chris. I love—well, this one is interesting. Our follow-up. Let's do a follow-up. We're doing a follow-up on our friend uh, Ahed Tamimi. Who, yeah, we had trouble with her name last week. That's right. So we've we've settled on Tamimi, who, who actually called for Jewish people to be slaughtered. Um, uh, she, 21 years old. Can you believe 21 years old and calling for slaughter of people? Yeah. She wanted to drink the blood of the Jewish people out of, their skull, skull, out of their, their skull, out of their skull. This is a Palestinian <laughs> activist, Ahed Tamimi. She's only 22 years old, but she was arrested Monday morning by the IDF, according to Israeli media, citing Palestinian reports. Tamimi has gained, uh, prominence in her community for her violent actions against the IDF and has been deemed by many as a national hero for West Bank Palestinians. She's kind of become somewhat of a symbol. I actually saw a video of her yesterday, Steve, when um, she kind of made her very first appearance, and it goes back, I think, 10 years or something, and she was just a young girl, so she's only 10 or 11 at this point. And um, and when what they show is that her and another girl were going up and screaming at the IDF, just screaming at them. You know, this little girl, and what, what are the IDF going to do? You know, what are they going to do there? And she be, she actually gained notoriety from that. That's where she gained some of her prominence. Her That video might have gone viral or something of a young girl screaming and pointing mm-hmm. up at a IDF soldiers. And you, you could see the IDF soldiers are just rolling their eyes going, all right, you know, they don't do anything, just move on. Um, and so ultimately, uh, she be, she's become kind of a national symbol. Well, now that those same IDF went and arrested her because of... Uh, well, drinking blood out of your skull and you're 21 years old? She wrote that on Instagram, by the way. Yeah, and... and probably has access to things that are far worse. They're, they're wise to investigate her. Oh, Very 100%. Wise. Very wise. That's right. Um, so uh, we, we mentioned last week that maybe on her, on her dating app, you know, <laughs> you know, where she's, I love hummus. I love, hummus. I love moonlight skies. <laughs> I also love to kill Jews. <laughs> that's right. And drink their Interested? blood. Yeah, that's right. Call. <laughs> that's right. Call me. So anyway, well, now she's got a new residence. It's in jail. So uh, there that's you go. Ahmed, Ahmed Tamimi. Here's another one, Steve, um, which we found from the Jerusalem Post. This is actually a, a question I get a lot, and I'm uncertain as to what it will be, what the results will be. But people are saying, what's the end game here for Israel in Gaza? Well, the end game is to destroy Hamas. But then they go, no, what's really the end game? So are they staying? 
Are they going to occupy Gaza? Uh, what's going to be the end game for Gaza as Israel relates to it? Will the Palestinians take over again? Will Hamas rise again? All great questions. In fact, I just heard Secretary Blinken uh, pretty much saying at the American, the Biden administration demands that Israel will return um, the 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 Gaza, Gaza to the Palestinians and this and he he gave them a bunch of list of mm-hmm. rules. Okay, fine. So uh, this is Gantz, um, who is in the in in a kind oh, of, you know I got a picture with Gantz. Oh, he I was know. running for prime minister. He's a tall He's guy, six foot eight inches tall. I know that's <laughs> very, very uncommon. Oh, very. The, it was we were at a a a, a strip mall kind of where we were getting some food for lunch. And there was big ruckus going on and big groups of people. And I heard, oh, the candidates are here. Oh, Gantz is here. Gantz is running for prime he minister. He was running for prime minister. So uh, there were his people, all his people were around. I said, hey, I'm from America. Could I get a picture? Oh, yeah, yeah. There were American Israelis there. <laughs> so I put my I put my arm <laughs> and it keeps going higher. And he's putting his hand, yeah, you know, down going like lower. this, and he's just smiling. We had several people from our tour who took pictures with him. But hey, the guy could play basketball. He oh, a hundred percent, amazing. Is he's now a minister of Knesset? I believe he was the head of defense. I think he is right now too in the unity government the during un- this war. That's right. But he's a Knesset minister, which makes he's a part of the parliament. He's like a congressman or a senator. Yeah. Um, uh, minister Benny Gantz uh, said this: the IDF hasn't decided who will run Gaza. I love that. We, I mean, Israel hasn't decided who will run Gaza, but the IDF is, but IDF to run security, Gantz says. I don't know what it will be, he said in a quote, but I do know what cannot be there, an active presence of Hamas with governance and military capabilities. Gantz told that in a closed press conference. So, um, Steve, again, uh, there's more in this article that we have posted in our show notes but I think it's going to be a big issue, and I think oh, that, it's going to be, and it's going to be high tension. High, te- I mean, the world is going to be waiting to see what Israel does. Are they going to kill Hamas and get out? Personally, I don't. I think they need to hang on for a moment because the moment they leave, guess what's going to come swarming back in? Hamas is going to come swarming back in. It's or- hard to fight a physical battle uh, when the Allies fought the Nazis. There was unanimity. Uh, as Israel fights Hamas. Uh, they're, it's it's getting more difficult and more difficult. Again, why? Because of the uniqueness of the nation of Israel. That's right. They're not just another nation. They're unique. Uh, look, the fight in Ukraine, hardly any, uh, unfortunately, hardly anybody's paying attention to that anymore. They're, they're helping Ukraine, and Ukraine is winning, but nobody's talking about post-Ukraine. What's going ha- what's gonna to happen? All the pressure is on Israel. And they, there's certain things they have to do. Oh, they have to. That That's a really good way to put it, too. I mean, this could be a long, drawn-out war between Ukraine and and uh, and Russia. And America looks at this as, a, you know, um, Ukraine is fighting our battle as well, you know, and Europe's battle. Uh, you know, the same could be said of Israel right now. Oh, no question. And people don't talk about that. Is that Very is few. Israel going in and destroying Hamas is sending a message to Iran. That's what it's saying. Don't mess with us. So it's not just this tiny, you know, I think people look at it like, oh, big Israel is defeating this tiny, you know, Hamas group. And that's the way it can often be painted. No, no, no. They're sending a signal up to Tehran and they're telling Iran, you don't mess with us. But at the same time, we are the, we're on the bucket list of, uh, or on the, on the list of people that Iran doesn't like either. We're the death to Israel, death to America. That's so right. They're fighting our battle as they, well. They are. In fact, uh, we heard from our worker in Israel, uh, Menno Kalisher was sharing with us about his son and daughter who are fighting uh, in uh, North Gaza. Uh, but he also said, the safest place for Jews to be. And he said it might be a year, might be three years. He said the safest place for Israel, for Jewish people to be is not in the United States. It's in Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Because that. he knows uh, that eventually it's coming here. And Chris, do we know in the United States how many Hamas people are living here? Oh, I don't have numbers, but I, I... We know they're here. We don't know how many. Well, they're coming right up the southern border. I mean, they they we know... I mean, I think even the FBI or some national intelligence had 
said that we have a serious issue. Of, there are terrorists that no have come question. up through the southern border. And so. they, their mindset is really no different than that 22-year-old gal. 100%. They're just, they're just trying to be as wise as they can to accomplish their goal. We 100%. know that. We know that. Well, well, but Chris, I now, want to give the next no. You do this one because I I, I did two well, of them. I, but I, I don't have the paper in front of me for names. But I we have give a it video. To you. Here we go. Boom! Oh, right here. Uh, this one. Yeah. Oh, here it is. And I have the video too. So here. Uh, okay. Start, start right here. Okay. This is fantastic. This comes from Ynet, and here's the headline. I saw the video. <laughs> Cowboys from the U.S. arrive in Israel to help with farming. That love Chris. They're coming from, uh, where are they coming from? Oklahoma, uh, Arkansas, Arkansas, and Montana. And Montana. And they're coming, and there's a video of, here's a picture of these. <laughs> they have this together. These guys know. They're paying their own way. They're paying their own way, Chris. Yep. And they're saying, we want to go help in Israel, why they fight the war. And they even called it Judea and Samaria. I, they don't call a- it the... the when they were talking about the West Bank, they said Judea, Samaria. These guys, they got their hats on, and you told me they're a phenomenon in Israel now. Oh, they're they're the famous famous people in Israel right now. These people paid their own way. These farmers paid their own way. They call them the Israeli guys. That's what they call them, quote, the Israeli guys. <laughs> that's what, they're not Jewish, but they're already labeled as the Israeli, these Israeli cowboys. Oh, look, those are the Israeli guys. I would love to be known yeah. as the Israeli guys. And guy. they're, they're helping out during a difficult time. There's a shortage right now of farmers because they're all at war. Um, and so they're harvesting has to be done by somebody. Yep. And that's what they're, that's what they're doing. They're helping out around the farm. That's and what's Chris, going on. We know that there's some, uh, firemen out of Long Island who have took, taken vacation time and they've gone to help to fight fires. And Chris, you used AI. I'm talking about oh, Jewish wait a minute. people. Can we, can we show this video first? Oh yeah. Sh- Do you remember the, the video? video? All right. I, I'm going to show you all this video really quick. If you're watching online, you'll see it, but these are the Cowboys. I want, yes, I love those Cowboys. Okay. So here they are. And uh, you can listen to what they have to stay, say, cause they, they talk a little bit. Oh, see, of course, the moment I hit play, it's going to start circling, Steve. Uh, you of know, course. It's, well, of course we it, have technical right, difficulties. While you're working on that, let me just say that uh, it's a little bit different. But uh, I was sitting on my uh, chair in the living room when I got a text from Chris, and it it had no words on it. It simply had two pictures. Oh, yeah, the only words were the Jew and the Gentile. (laughs) And the AI uh, imaging, is that what it's called, AI imaging? Yeah, you can... Take AI and just say, make me a picture of this, and boom, it makes you a picture. <laughs> you, we, we'll include those in the in the notes for people to see if you're interested. Uh, AI, <laughs> Jew and Gentile podcast. Uh, it doesn't look anything like me, but it's hilarious. No, I'll put that in the show notes for people to see. All right, here we go, Steve. Let's see if this works. My name is uh, John Ploker, and I'm from Montana. I'm Ezekiel Strain, and I'm from Montana. Ezekiel. Hey, y'all. I'm Luke Hutzler, and I'm from Huntsville, Arkansas. My name's Yosef. I'm from Montana. I'm here to serve Israel. Look at them strut themselves. <laughs> Slow motion. They sound like the Magnificent Seven. <laughs> here to serve Israel any way we can during the hard time here and the struggle against Hamas just out in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, just um, serving people whatever way we can help. So. Hey, Chris, there was a movie, Yul Brenner was in it, it was called The Magnificent Seven, and a Mexican town was experiencing, you know, uh, all kinds of trouble. They were, they were held down by these criminals, and they only had a little bit of money, and they sent this gal to find help somewhere, and she found one of the most, uh, the best gun slinger around, and he had connections. It was Yul Brenner, and so he found six other people. And so she comes back, and th- these seven people, they said, seven people? Oh, well, those seven people beat them like crazy. And so I see <laughs> I see these cowboys. They play the music. They're walking in slow motion. Slow motion they're yeah. coming to Israel. <laughs> and, yes, we're helping Israel while they're against Hamas. Yeah, that, we, are, we are the magnificent four. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> the from, Israeli guys. From Arkansas and Montana. Hey, you know, I, I know Steve feels this way, but— uh, 
I'm not even Israeli, but thank you. I mean, to get up and pay your own money to go help. That, that, you know what that does for the juice in Israel with all the countries and people and, you know, in Washington, D.C., they took red paint and put it on the White House. Yep. In New York. Pro-Palestinian protesters. In New yeah. York, they had the same thing calling. And in, in the U.S. Congress, they had a censor, uh, one of the congresswomen uh, from Detroit, uh, because she was saying from the river to the sea, all that Israelis know about. But when they see this, the Israeli guys puts a smile on their face. Oh, yeah. It juices them up and, quite frankly, juices us up, too. hundred percent. Well, Steve. Give us the word, because I don't have it in front of me. Oh, you don't have it in front of you. But it is amazing. I know. It is amazing. Amazing. Daniel was an amazing guy. What do we say about him? Gavaldic. He was a Gavaldic. He was Gavaldic. He was amazing. That's what that means. Gavaldic is amazing. It's uh, tremendous. Tremendous. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> I wonder if he knows we were saying that. I wonder I wonder if he knows uh, ya, uh, um, Johannes knows we're saying that about him. Johannes gave me unbelievable, but now we have this word amazing. Amazing. Uh, g- uh, Gavaldic. Steve, you're Gavaldic. You're very good at what you do. You're amazing on the podcast. You're Gavaldic. You're tremendous. You're amazing. We are the amazing two. There's the Magnificent <laughs> Seven. Uh, by the way, we have seven listeners. They're all Gavaldic. They're all Gavaldic. Thank you. To our Gavaldic <laughs> listeners, all seven of you, everybody. Amazing. That is amazing. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for joining the Jew and Gentile podcast. Continue to be praying for Israel and the Jewish people. Hey, let us know that you support Israel and the Jewish people by texting us at 424-444-1948. Also, Steve, hold up that mug so people can know the to go to... go on a mug. Go Look to, at those mugs. Go to gofoi.org forward slash mug, and you can make your donation of a $10 minimum and get a mug on a mug, and uh, you can support us that way and all the work that we're doing through FOI Equip. And don't forget to come to my class, people. What are you waiting for? Go register right now, foiequip.org. Hey, we'll see you next week.